so often we think of hell the way that the world portrays the Christian view of hell with the pitchfork and the fire and all of that. But the Bible doesn't necessarily say that, does it? Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. Today we continue our series on how to live after Adventism with a discussion on hell. If you've been following along, you know we've recently discussed how to live in the local body of Christ as born-again believers. Now, a big part of making that transition includes an ongoing, emphasis on ongoing, process of unpacking theological error and replacing it with biblical truth. I know that it's tempting to just say, Adventism's wrong, I'm not an Adventist anymore, I'm a Christian, and then feel like you've checked that box and you can go on your way. But the truth is, the process of unraveling Adventist heresies and the brainwashing that shaped our understanding of reality in various aspects of life, it takes a long time, years, decades even, not because it's insurmountable, but because Adventist doctrine is so insidious, we don't always know what we need to correct until God brings us to it. We have to be patient and allow Him to teach us in His timing and in His way while responding to Him in trust and obedience. It's a kind of lifelong process, it it seems. Mm -hmm. And this is why we cannot refuse to fellowship with believers who believe things we haven't yet studied. (laughs) We have to do the hard work of healing and growing in truth while living side by side with people we may not fully understand and who won't always understand us. (laughs) The truth is these relationships will be critical in our healing and growing in Christ. Now, for some formers, the doctrine of hell is so untenable the issue becomes a deal breaker, and they refuse to integrate with a local body of believers. But this doesn't have to be the case. It is possible to pump the brakes on finding total agreement on all points while honestly submitting to scripture and allowing God to help you know what you need to know when it's time. So today we'll discuss some of the things we need to remember when we approach the topic of hell. We'll revisit what the Bible says about hell, and we'll encourage one another with truths that will help us find comfort and peace as we face this frankly disturbing spiritual Mm -hmm. reality. But before we get started, let me remind you that we love hearing from you. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to read various online articles, to sign up for our weekly emails containing new material and other ministry news, and there's a donate tab there as well if you'd like to come alongside us with your financial support. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can receive notifications each time a new episode goes live. Also, the 2022 Former Adventist Fellowship Conference is convening both in person and online this year. (laughs) Visit proclamationmagazine.com to register for the event, and be sure to reach out if you have any questions about it. So, Colleen, I have a question for you. Okay. How long did it take you to come to terms with the doctrine of hell when you left Adventism? Interesting. I have to think back about it. It wasn't until we had actually joined our new church, Trinity Church. It was months, maybe a year or two. And at first, I just thought, well, you know, who really knows? Who can know for sure? But then we attended the membership class at Trinity Church where Gary Enrig went through the doctrines 
that the church subscribed to, the doctrinal statement. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the things in the doctrinal statement was the doctrine of hell. So at the end of the class, he said, now, those of you who are here who are interested in joining the church, are there any questions? And, you know, we weren't going to bring it up in front of everybody. (laughs) So at the close of the class, after he had dismissed everybody, we went up to him and stood in front of him, and he looked at us and pointed his finger at us and said, hell, right? (laughs) (laughs) He knew you were former Adventist. Oh, yes, he did. He did. And and we looked at each other, Richard and I did, and kind of laughed and said, uh, yeah. And he said, well, okay, here's the deal. He said, if you were coming from a place of complete unbelief, we would tell you that you needed to study this doctrine before you actually became a member. But because of where you're coming from, we won't let that stand in the way. And I didn't completely understand that at the time, but I do now. And he said to us later, actually it was years later when we talked about that once, he said, I knew that what you just needed was to hear the Word of God taught. You needed to just hear the Word taught. And he was right. He was understanding enough to realize that we had greatly shifted our worldview and learned a whole new worldview of scriptural truth instead of Adventist doctrine. And it was just a matter of time before hell fell into place. He could tell that we wanted to know the truth. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, it's a really big thing because it's part of who God is. The idea of hell is related to God's sovereignty, and that was something that also took us a while. All to say that that was a process. It took some months, actually probably a year or two. There were some interesting things that helped me come to the understanding that hell was an eternal thing, but it didn't happen all at once. And what about you, Nikki? Yeah, it doesn't happen all at once, does it? No. You know, I heard a sermon on the radio it was a Calvary Chapel radio station, and he was talking about hell. In fact, the whole sermon was teaching the doctrine of hell. And I was an Adventist, but I was listening as I was cooking, and I remember by the end of it, I knew that he had just told me the truth, and I knew that everything he taught was from the Bible alone, because that's all it used. He was doing a line-by-line teaching, I believe. And I was shaken. I didn't know what to do with it. I was shaken. Um, And then when I became a Christian... I think I had kind of put that out of my head at the FAF conference when I first heard the gospel. So I guess I would say as I was becoming a Christian, Uh (laughs) I had a conversation with some of the women who were there and several of them were lifelong Christians. And I asked them, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, there's your Adventist cliche (laughs) question, right? But I wanted to know how they would answer it. And I remember the surprised and almost sad look on one of the women's face. I think I've shared this on here before. She said, how could he not? Yeah. And that just echoed in my mind for a very long time afterwards. And as I begin to understand better what the Bible said about hell, mm-hmm. and as I came to understand the gospel better, and as I trusted scripture more, right. really that's where it was at, it started to take shape in my head. And and I'll be honest, when I finally got it, the gospel became even more precious. And the urgency to pray for people to come to the Lord, to come to faith, became more prominent in my thinking. Yes. It me just too. changed mm-hmm. everything. Everything shifted a little, you know? Yes, I do know 
Oh my. You know, it's interesting that you had a Calvary Chapel sermon that was significant in your experience early on. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to a Calvary Chapel sermon right about the time we came out of Adventism. It was like 1998, I believe. And I was hearing this pastor doing a line-by-line teaching, talking about hell. And I remember thinking for the first time in my life, oh my, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Mm -hmm. He was talking about what it meant to be separated from God, to be separated from the source of life and love. And I thought, I wouldn't wish that even on people that I didn't like. And I realized how important it was and why evangelism was a big deal in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. I had never really understood that. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally got why Christians cared so much about sharing the gospel. Because, yeah. you know, in Adventism, it's very relative. You know, Absolutely. do the best you can with the light you have, and God knows your heart. God knows your heart. He won't destroy somebody who's sincere. And for us, the word destroy meant annihilate. So it's either you're going to live eternally on the basis of being sincere with a God who wouldn't do something horrible to you, or you will be wiped out because he's a good God and a good God doesn't have wrath and a good God wouldn't do that to somebody. And I realize, Nikki, I it's almost makes me want to cry now when I realize what a distorted view we had of God and what it meant for God to be good. Yeah. I think that that phrase, a good God, just those three words, you need to sit up and pay attention if you're an Adventist and you begin a sentence with that, a good God, because the entire premise of the Adventist great controversy is that God is on trial and that we're looking on to see if he's a good God or if he's not. Yes. And so now we're defining the terms, a good God wouldn't send someone to hell. It's a human definition of someone who's very unlike us, who made us, Nikki. Yeah. It's idol building. Yeah. What I really want for formers, new formers to to do is to start catching on when they hear themselves saying that and thinking that way. Because what if the God of the universe identifies himself as a God who does send people to hell? And you're saying a good God wouldn't do that. So you don't believe in the real God then? I remember my father-in-law telling me early on as we were leaving that my God is a monster because Yours. because he sends people to hell. And oh. only a monster could send people to hell and live with the smoke of their torment going up forever. It really is the position of a lot of Adventists yeah, that this is. is a dark doctrine. Sometimes I think now about how we defined a good God. I also remember hearing a sermon from La Sierra Church back in the 90s before we left Adventism, and they were still broadcasting their services on KSGN, which was a local radio station. It still is. It was overtly an Adventist station then. And I remember hearing the pastor saying, and this was about the time the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. And I remember hearing him say he'd had lunch with a few other Adventist pastors after kind of proudly admitting he'd gone to the theater to see this movie. Mm. He said, we were talking at lunch and we were talking about the movie and about how it portrayed Jesus. And we all agreed that God does not have wrath. (laughs) God does not have wrath. And I remember thinking to myself then, we had already begun our weekly Bible studies with the neighbors and were beginning to see that the Bible didn't say 
what we had been taught it said. Mm -hmm. So when he said that God doesn't have wrath, I realized I was hearing something that the Bible didn't support because, you know, Romans 1 alone says the wrath of God is being poured out now on those who are indulging their perversions and their depraved minds and receiving the consequences for those things in their own bodies. And that is defined in Romans 1 as the wrath of God being poured out. So, to say God does not have wrath is to deny the actual words of Scripture in the present day. Yeah. Well, and and John 3 says that those who don't believe the wrath of God remains on them. And John 3.18 says that those who believe do not come into condemnation, but those who have not believed are condemned already. And then later in the chapter, as you said, the wrath of God remains on them. God has wrath. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we talk about hell, we have to start at that place and at our understanding of what a human is, because we as former Adventists have so much twistedness in our understandings of reality. Our reality was based on the ravings of a false prophet who actually taught us doctrines of demons. Well, when you think back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and the serpent tempted Eve and said, oh, no, no, you know, you say that God said that in the day you eat of the fruit, you'll die, but I'm telling you, you will not surely die. Well, I was taught that that lie of Satan's, you will not surely die, I was taught that that meant that people would believe that you continue to exist after you die, and Satan was basically trying to get people to believe the lie that if your body goes into the ground, you don't disappear, and that that was the lie of Satan. Wow. But the fact is, the Bible is very clear that when our bodies die and go into the ground, something does remain. Believers are immediately in the presence of the Lord. But we were so carefully taught. You know, it's, it's kind of shocking to me, Nikki, now when I look back on it, how thoroughly we were taught a demonic lie. We were told that Satan saying, you will not surely die, meant don't ever believe the Christian teaching, there's life after death. When in reality, Satan was saying, you won't die, but they did die. On the day. On the day they ate, because God cannot lie. Only Satan can lie. We were taught that Satan meant something else, and it eclipsed completely the fact that Adam and Eve did die. From that very first part of the Bible, we learn that man is in two parts, bodies, which continued after they sinned, and spirits, which died that day because God said they would. Mm -hmm. And we know they died that day because what did they do as soon as they sinned? They hid. They were shamed. They knew shame. They hid. They blamed. They didn't own their own sin. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam even blamed God, this woman you gave me. So we know they died. They suddenly were out of communication with God, and they were out of sorts with each other. So their very nature changed. Yes. And we know, as we continue to read in Genesis, that everyone born after them has been born in the likeness of Adam with the same nature, with the same dead, cut off from God spirit. That's called total depravity. Yes. We're born dead in sin. That's and how we start. And it says that specifically in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and even ends by saying we are by nature children of wrath. There's wrath again. 
Whose wrath? It's the wrath of God against sin. Yes, it is. It's not the wrath of Satan. It's the wrath of God. One of the things that I think is helpful to remember when we approach such a hard doctrine is what we already know to be true. As we've been talking about this, we keep going back to Scripture. Mm -hmm. We had those sermons from Calvary Chapel that were line-by-line Scripture. Interesting. We're looking at texts and what the actual words of Scripture say to determine what was true and what really happened in Eden. So we're speaking from the assumption that Scripture is authoritative, and we've covered that in other episodes of the podcast. And what I want to say to people who, as they think about hell and they listen to us talk, I want you to revisit your view of Scripture. What do you believe is true about Scripture? And what we together in Life Assurance Ministries believes about Scripture is that it is God-breathed. Yes. It is inerrant in its original languages, Mm -hmm. that it's authoritative. We're to submit to it. It's sufficient to teach us all things. We don't need people Outside of Scripture, Scripture is sufficient, it's clear, and it's necessary. It's important. When we tackle these hard things and we go back to that and we remember, okay, I'm submitting to the words of God. When I read this, these are God's words. He's the author, and He's the one who knows reality. And so He's the one who's going to teach me, and I need to believe what He tells me because when I question this, I'm questioning the author. Yes, exactly. I'm putting myself over Scripture, and I can't do that. So sometimes we read these hard things, we have to remember that. The conversation is futile if we can't agree on the fact that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, and He is, (laughs) then everything that's true about God is always also true of Jesus. And that means that everything Jesus tells us is only ever true. And no one taught more about hell than He did. And so we go to the words of Jesus in Scripture, and we have to deal with those. And the only way His words start to make sense in an ongoing worldview is to believe what it also says about us, that we're born dead in sin, and that means the smallest baby, the first newborn, is dead in sin. And all our lives were dead in sin until we believe in the Lord Jesus and His finished work, until we believe in God's own words. Then we come to life, and we're filled with His Spirit. That's what makes all of this teaching about hell and heaven and eternal life meaningful. There is a spiritual reality that Adventism very specifically worked to teach against. And it's interesting to me, before we started this podcast, we were talking about this whole thing with Richard, and we were remembering that we've talked with Christians who've never been Adventist over the years, and they've been so puzzled, even confused as they've listened to us talk. I remember once Tim Martin from the Centers for Apologetics Research working on a talk for one of our FAF weekends, and he was trying to understand our ideas of soul sleep. And I was trying to explain to him that Adventists don't believe humans have an immaterial spirit separate from the body. And he was asking questions, and we had a maybe 15-minute conversation. He said, you know, even the most rank pagans have no trouble understanding that humans have something besides a body. He said, this is a very strange and confusing worldview. And you had a memory Mm -hmm. of our friend Jordan. Yeah, it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were just sitting across the kitchen table discussing the nature of man and the human spirit. And 
he just couldn't wrap his head around the idea that we didn't understand as Adventists that we had spirits and that even after leaving Adventism and becoming Christian, we had to take that truth by faith. It wasn't intuitive. And that was really hard for him to comprehend. And I remember watching him struggle with that thinking, he's so lucky. (laughs) <laughs> he gets it so thoroughly that he can't understand not getting it. I want to get it like that. Yeah. And this is the thing that we have to say again, Nikki, as we talk to our own fellow former Adventists or people who are struggling with Adventism, and that is the Bible is very clear that we are made in the image of God and the animals are not. And the difference between humans and animals is that we have a spirit, a spirit that can know and worship God, a spirit that does not disappear when our bodies die. The counsel of Scripture is very clear. We do not cease to exist when our bodies die. And that is part of the worldview that's necessary for understanding what Jesus himself taught us about hell. Yeah, so, you know... I've heard several times Adventists will say, I've never really done anything that bad. I don't deserve hell. I I don't deserve to burn forever. It just betrays that fundamental misunderstanding that salvation is not on the basis of how you behave. It's on the basis of, do you believe? It's belief or unbelief. It's life or death. Jesus said in John 3, unless someone is born from above, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, unless someone is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. He was very clear. And you know, it makes me think of those times where he told his disciples, the son of man is going to be handed over. He's going to be flogged. He's going to die, but he'll raise on the third day. And they didn't get it. (laughs) And I feel like that John 3 passage, he's very clear, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And yet we still just don't get it when we come out of Adventism. We have this veil that prevents us from understanding because of that nature of man. When we understand that we're made in God's image, that makes us completely different from the animal kingdom in general. Spiritually, we are different. We are in the image of God. The spirit cannot cease to exist. One other text that really has emphasized this to me is in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 10. This is an interesting little book that Paul wrote, really um, an eschatological book, if you will. But in this passage, he says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. Now, there's that word vengeance, which is related to wrath. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. It's interesting because the people who have vengeance inflicted on them in the day of the Lord are whom? The people who didn't believe, they didn't obey the gospel. And what's the gospel? It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, and he talks about Jesus coming and dying according to Scripture and being buried and raised on the third day according to Scripture, and then revealing himself to his apostles and disciples. 
The gospel is Jesus' finished work of atonement, his death for sin, his burial, his resurrection. And that is what we are to believe. That is what we are to obey. How do you obey believing? But here's what Jesus said when the Jews asked him, what's the work of God? John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. And according to this passage in 2 Thessalonians, those who do not believe, those are the ones who will receive the vengeance of God. And interestingly, in Hebrews 3 and 4, when we get a new definition of the Sabbath, we learn that the Israelites disobeyed God because they didn't believe him when he told them how to enter the promised land. But we are to believe God, and in doing so, we are obeying him. And we come into the rest of Christ. Yes. And it's so counterintuitive from our physicalism of Adventism. How do you believe as an Adventist? Well, as an Adventist, it's like a mental thing. It's all about the biochemical reactions and the tips of the nerves and the synapses. It's, it's all physical. And when a person becomes demented or comatose or dead, then in an Adventist worldview, the person ceases to exist. Scripture's very different from our Adventist worldview. Belief is not just a mental thing. It's a spiritual reality. It's what Adam and Eve didn't do when they ate the fruit. They didn't believe God. They allowed Satan to deceive them. Had they believed God and had not fallen prey to Satan's deception, then the whole story of mankind would have been different. But we are what the Bible tells us we are, sons and daughters of Adam by nature, by nature children of wrath. And when we believe, we receive, as Romans 8 explains, the resurrection life of Christ, and we're born again. So, the sin problem isn't a deeds problem. Right. It's a nature problem. It's a species problem. Yeah. So, when we look at our lives and we say, I have been moral, I have done my best to keep the Ten Commandments, to eat right, (laughs) to live this holy life, and I haven't gone out and robbed a bank and done all these awful things. So, really, you know, God knows my heart. I'm okay. And I want to say, that's the beautiful deception of Adventism. If you can be kept in that place where you think you're a good person and you're doing your best and a good God will be nice and merciful, then you're never dealing with with your nature. You're never repenting of who you are before a holy God. You're never coming to faith in who God is and what He's done and what He's rescuing you from. None of that is, is coming to fruit in your life. And so, you're just kept content in this false worldview with this false gospel, and you're not believing unto salvation. And I can understand the Adventist worldview, which I had, which is, hell is a horrible thing. That's a monstrous thing to inflict burning on somebody that just disagrees with you or disobeys you, but that's not the issue, as you said. It's not a deeds issue. It's not a physical issue. It's spiritual, and it's who we are by nature. And that's what makes Jesus' incarnation so amazing. He came to rescue us from who we are by nature, He came to give us a way out. If we didn't have spirits, none of that would make sense. None of that would make sense. Because in the Adventist worldview, what was Jesus' incarnation about for us? 
showing us how to keep the law and, and how to vindicate God's character by proving that what he asks us to do can be done. Yeah, but it couldn't be done. We were dead. We couldn't do it. And Jesus came able to please the Father because he was born of the Spirit from conception. And he came and died the death that all humanity deserved. He died a real death for real sin, and he suffered the real wrath of God on the cross. This is not about showing us how to live. This is about giving us his life and restoring us to life by breaking the curse that we were born into. It makes me think of that conversation Jesus had with his disciples when he was talking about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God in in absolute hopelessness. They said, then who can be saved? And he said, with man, it is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. Yes, it's an amazing thing. So, Nikki, as we have already said, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. So, I want to ask you a question about one of the sentences that I've read in Matthew that has really impacted me because I understand it so much differently now than I did as an Adventist, and I want to get your reaction to it. It's Matthew 10, 28, and Jesus said this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Talk about how you used to think of that and how you see it now in the context of Scripture. Well, of course, when I heard that verse as an Adventist, I had no context for it. It was just a standalone verse. But now Jesus is talking to his disciples, letting them know, hey, you're going to be persecuted. He's sending them out to preach the gospel, and he's saying, you're going to be persecuted. These things are going to happen, but don't fear them. Don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So these are, don't fear humans. Don't fear people who are going to persecute you. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. Yes. Don't fear them. You have a work to do from God. Fear God. Go and do what he's called you to do. Right. Now, what does it mean when he says that God can destroy both soul and body in hell? You know, it's interesting. As an Adventist, I actually thought that meant Satan. I did too. It was just a standalone sentence. And you think hell, you think the pitchfork and the guy. (laughs) Just, I don't know. I thought that too. It's interesting that the text says not to fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And that's contrasted with God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It doesn't say kill. No. It says destroy. Yeah. That doesn't mean annihilate. No, it does not. If I destroy a bicycle by taking a sledgehammer to it, it's not annihilated. There's still something there. It's just not the purpose for which it was originally intended. That heap of metal has been twisted beyond recognition, and is unable to function as a bicycle. Humans were created to be alive, body and soul. And that was, <laughs> that was the legacy of Adam to us. His spirit, his soul died the day he disobeyed God and didn't believe that God was telling the truth. And he allowed Satan to deceive him and Eve. They died spiritually, but they didn't cease to be human They didn't cease to exist. And when God destroys body and soul in hell, that simply means the second death. And death is not 
ceasing to exist. And that's where Adventism gets it wrong. Death prior to the second death is the separation of body and spirit. The second death, the wicked are resurrected for that significantly, but they will not have life because they will be separated from God. And it's clear in Revelation that the wicked are going to be thrown into the lake of fire and the smoke of their torment will go up forever. That's true. We've talked a lot about what is hell, you and me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth bringing that up into this conversation because, you know, so often we think of hell the way that the world portrays the Christian view of hell with the pitchfork and the fire and all of that. But the Bible doesn't necessarily say that, does it? No, it doesn't. Number one, hell is not the domain of Satan. It was created by God, prepared for the devil and his angels, we learn in Revelation 20. The lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan is not in charge of hell. God is. And at the end of Revelation 20, the wicked are thrown into the lake of fire. The enemies of God are thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are and where Satan is thrown. This is the domain of God, not the domain of the devil. Now, it is described as a lake of fire, but it's interesting because that's not the only way the Bible describes hell. Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 12 to 17, he has a whole passage describing the irreverent, irrational, wicked people who disrespect God and disrespect his creatures. And at the very end, he says, these, these false teachers, these wicked people, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Now, that also is a description of hell, utter darkness. You know, I had a really um, unexpected moment in church last Sunday. We were singing a song by City of Light during communion, and one of the verses said this, What love, my God, so gracious and extreme, was strong enough to come and fight for me, to go through hell and down into the grave and raise me up to see you face to face? And for some reason, when I came to that verse, and I've sung this song many times, and it has never hit me like this before, to go through hell and down into the grave, I realized in a way I'd never realized before what happened when Jesus died on that cross. It's not equating the grave with hell. It's Now, this is not scripture. I'll admit that. This is a song, mm-hmm. but it's describing what the Bible actually teaches. Mm-hmm to go through hell and down into the grave. Before Jesus went to the grave, he hung on that cross while the world became dark for three hours, a strange and complete darkness that the world had never seen before. And during that time, Jesus hung on that cross, not yet dead. And at the end of it, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I realized that as our perfect substitute and sacrifice, the man Christ Jesus, who is also God the Son, hung on that cross in 
utter separation from his father. Now, there's mystery here we can't explain because the Trinity cannot be divided. But Jesus, the man, experienced complete separation from his father. That is hell. He experienced the wrath of God against all human sin. He took our imputed sin into himself. He took it to the cross and he experienced the wrath of God against sin. And then he died. And I realized that's hell. And that's what the wicked who do not believe will experience for eternity. Because we are not destroyed in terms of annihilation in hell. God raises the wicked for judgment. John 5 tells us that. And Revelation 20 tells us that. He raises the righteous to be forever with him in a complete and glorified state, and he resurrects the wicked for judgment, and they will forever be judged in an existence that is apart from God. And yet, God is there because he is God even over hell. Over and over, the Bible tells us our God is a consuming fire. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God's judgment, God's vengeance is his own holiness, his own wrath that cannot tolerate the sin of unbelief in his presence. And when we refuse to believe, we are placing ourselves outside of the ability to have any kind of communion with him. And yet, his glory will be there. You remember the veil in the temple? Mm -hmm. That was there to separate Israel, sinful Israel, from the Shekinah glory of God because it would have killed them. God took Moses onto Mount Sinai, and the people stayed down below and were not even allowed to touch the fence that was built around the mountain because the glory of God would have killed them. The glory of God kills the wicked. And the sad thing about ultimate judgment is that the wicked do not cease to exist, but they are destroyed. They're destroyed because they no longer have life. They no longer have the life of God in them, but yet they are subject to the glory of God, which has no way to be bridged between their evil, wicked unbelief and his holy righteousness. And this is what Jesus came to save us from. He came to save us from himself and from our own unbelief. And when people refuse to believe, there is no other way to be reconciled to God. And that's hell. It's a sobering truth. And it's, it's really hard to sit with, but it's reality. And the reason that God tells us about it is so that we will believe, right. that we will know what's at stake here that we will see him and know him and trust him and share that truth with other people and not just in indifference say, oh, they're doing the best they can. Jesus came to show us who God is and the glory of God was revealed on the cross. The glory of God taking our sin, suffering the wrath of God within himself. And Colossians 1 tells us that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself as he hung on that cross. I don't understand this, Nikki, but I know it's true, and it's our only hope. And that's why we do this. We were Adventists. We didn't believe this. And I want Adventists to understand this. 
our physical worldview is a lie. Jesus is real. God is real. We are spiritual beings, and He's asking us to trust Him so we can be alive. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus' death for your sin, His burial, and His resurrection, according to Scripture, so that you can be saved from your own spiritual death, so that you can be saved from the wrath of God, take the Bible seriously and trust Him today. If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to read various online articles or to sign up for our weekly emails containing new material and other ministry news. Don't forget to sign up for the 2022 Former Adventist Fellowship Conference convening both online and in person this year. You can register for that at proclamationmagazine.com. And join us next week as we continue this series on how to live after Adventism with a discussion on how to give up the Adventist Godhead. We'll see you then.